Support for The Interchange comes from Wonder Capital, the easiest way to invest in large-scale solar projects across the U.S. With Wonder, you can help finance renewable energy projects and earn up to 7.5% annually. To get started, visit wondercapital.com gtm. That's wonder with a U, wondercapital.com gtm. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. So way back in our first Blockchain Explainer episode, I tried my hand at blockchain humor, and I don't think I convinced you that I was very funny, Shale. Not yet, but I'm willing to let you give it a try again. Okay, cool. So there's there's a pretty deep well of blockchain jokes on the internet that I've uncovered. Actually, the ones I uncovered are more Bitcoin-oriented than anything. <laughs> Count me surprised. Okay, why don't we start, where else, with Chuck Norris. Uh, so Chuck Norris mined all Bitcoins twice. <laughs> God. Okay, if you don't get that one, then you don't get Chuck Norris jokes. Okay, here's another one. Why won't the government embrace Bitcoin? Why not? Because they hate the idea of proof of work. Okay, that one's pretty good. I like that one. Okay, I got, I got one more. I think you might like this one. How many crypto miners does it take to change a light bulb? How many, Stephen? A million. One to do it and the rest to verify he did it. That's pretty good. You could also say one to do it and the rest to debate over whether it made any sense. <laughs> Definitely more relevant for this podcast. Coming up, we'll try once again to make sense of blockchain in the energy sector. This is part one of two episodes devoted to the subject. We've got conversations with blockchain startups, an investor, a major utility, and some in-house experts. So when you finally put those earbuds down, hopefully you walk into a blockchain conversation with more confidence about applications, or at least you'll have a new vocabulary of buzzwords. Just don't tell any of those jokes. And if you didn't already know, you're listening to The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey in Boston. Shail Khan is my co-host. He's the Senior VP of Research and Strategy at Energy Impact Partners. He's with us from Berkeley. A bit later in the show, we'll talk through some investment trends and hear from some startups about use cases. To begin, though, we're bringing GTM chairman and resident blockchain devotee Scott Clavenna back for another round of Consensus. Shale and I bring a confusing energy-related blockchain concept to Scott, and he does his best to explain it to us, or at least explore it with us. Hey, Scott, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Just back from two different blockchain events, so I'm, I'm deep in it. <laughs> per usual. Okay, Shale, what's on your mind this week? All right. I want to talk about something that we hear all the time in the energy blockchain world, but the more that I talk about it, the less that I realize I understand it, which is peer-to-peer transactions. Um, so according to the great report that Colleen Metalitza from GTM Research put out a few weeks ago in conjunction with the conference that GTM held, um, she found 122 blockchain energy organizations that she was able to categorize. Of those, 94 of them had a primary use case that they were going after. And the single largest use case from 27 of those organizations, so more than a quarter of all the companies that are pursuing blockchain and energy was peer-to-peer -peer energy trading. And so I think the what peer-to-peer -peer energy trading is uh, makes sense and it is relatively self-explanatory. But the real question that I have is why would we do it? In, in what situations, if any, does it make sense to offer peer-to-peer -peer trading without a centralized authority or market maker? And, and why is that preferable to whatever the alternative might be. 
So let's start with this, I guess, Scott. When you think about peer-to-peer energy trading via blockchain, like what are the primary use cases people are really talking about? Sure, sure. You know, I think you're confused because it's really confusing right now. I, I think the problem is white papers as early as blockchain is in its development and as quick as people have been to define all these different use cases, even like raise money and issue tokens and create platforms to do these things, is that it isn't terribly well understood. A lot of these um, concepts are brand new. The people launching these often don't understand energy markets that well. And so you can see it described in in wildly different ways. And um, I think we're, we're in a time where reality is going to catch up to technology and to you know, the entrepreneurs and we'll get there, but I think it is a really confusing time. So where I see peer to peer not working well is say at my house, right? I'm in Massachusetts. I've got a five and a half kilowatt, um, sun power array on the roof, a solar edge inverter in the basement and everything, every bit of every kilowatt hour that array, um, generates, I get compensated for in Massachusetts at the full um, retail rate for electricity. And for every megawatt hour I produce, I mint an SREC, which is traded on a market. So I get $250 or so, six or seven times a year from the SRECs. So my system um, right now, and there's no time of use rate. So like I said, everything that it, that it generates, I get compensated for at full retail. So I don't have, I'm not a, um, a DER owner who is looking around for greater and greater benefit from that because I am in a very generous regime. So I think I'm probably the last in line um, for that, for that opportunity. But peer to peer, if I'm in an area where um, net metering is is below or well below, if it's you know pegged to wholesale or somewhere in between, for uh, say you know rooftop solar, then there could be an opportunity there to, to offer my excess generation, not back to the utility at their low rate, but to my neighbors at a higher rate, maybe not full retail, but at a price that is higher. The technical feasibility is there for the blockchain, particularly Ethereum with smart contracts, it's sort of programmable money. You can program that money to you know, move from, you know, house to house based on um, agreements that are set in a it's sort of a market that that just organically is created. I can just advertise that I have that when I have excess generation, I'll sell it to you for 12 cents a kilowatt hour. And someone else could just be present on that blockchain with a settings that say if there is solar power in the neighborhood for you know, anything from 11 cents to 16 cents, I'll buy it. You have that opportunity. And what stands in your way is regulation, not technology. Well, I guess the thing is you are still paying your full retail bill. You just have a side deal, you know, that, and that, I guess that's one of the benefits that people like, uh, the blockchain companies like about peer-to-peer is that there are regulatory questions, but you can kind of do this separate and apart from the utility. Like you don't rely upon the utility entirely at the start. Now that may not be true ultimately when it does get regulated, but in the meantime, it does just sort of sit alongside, you're still paying your bills. So it sits alongside that as a, as a separate financial layer. 
so you're essentially shale like you're really hung up on the regulatory question that's what's bugging you i guess i'm hung up on whether it makes any whether it's better from a systemic perspective in any way i can see why to the individual to the to the peer to peer trader given that paradigm of you know uh, excess generation being compensated at less than the retail rate. I can see why to that individual, it makes sense to do a, to do peer to peer trading. I'm trying to determine whether I think it's a good thing for the grid. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a good conversation. So what I've seen, if you look at through a number of these white papers of product roadmaps, I think a lot of them start with these really simple kind of neighborhood or even within an apartment complex or, um, any sort of micro grid defined space that peer to peer is a way to sort of get things started, get the tokens in use, catalyze um, the markets and, and the consumers working with it. But the product roadmaps tend to actually go in the direction where they do start thinking about the grid in that they envision larger and larger energy blockchains you know, arising out of this kind of from the bottom up that do either interoperate with the ISO, RTO, or the utility, the distribution grid in ways that actually are are designed to create these virtual power plants or big resource pools that then um, are reacting to price signals from the utility in you know near real time so that grid balancing and grid flexibility all that is actually a compensated it's part of the market it's an input into the market so that the grid actually would be um benefit would would benefit from the fact that there are all these very active endpoints that are reacting the price signals yeah i do the the place where I have an easier time figuring out the value of peer to peer is within initially within um, a group of nodes or a group of DER customers who are all behind a single meter or look like they're behind a single meter. So, like you said, within an apartment complex, that makes sense to me because as it stands now, if you don't do any of that transacting, there's no there's no way to optimize that portfolio of assets within a single apartment building. Similarly, a microgrid, which is islandable and has a single point of connection to the to the main grid, that also makes sense to me. You could even, I think, say the same for a virtual power plant in that if, if all of those resources are being orchestrated such that they are providing a specific service to the wider grid, then then it makes sense to me. You want the trading amongst them and within them um, to ultimately get to the whole. But if you're not doing that, just sort of placing a peer-to-peer layer on top of an existing grid to me, I just am missing something in the explanation of why that's helpful. Does it matter if it's helpful or not? Because if there is demand for, I mean, this goes back to like, is farm to table helpful? You know, or is it just keep people, you know, does it actually create a market for a new kind of restaurant? you know, where the, all the ingredients are within 180 miles of the restaurant, something like that is. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to get my head around, because I think in a way, part of it is appealing to that sentiment that there's a demand for renewable energy. People are kind of locked out from it now or find only ways to access renewable energy by paying a premium over retail um, on their electricity bill. So is there a way to 
you know, create greater access to renewable energy locally? And does that then inspire more investment in renewable energy locally because markets are there and neighbors tell neighbors and, you know, it's advertised by the, uh, the blockchain operator, whomever. So it's a positive in terms of creating greater economic incentives for um, renewable energy deployment or EVs, wherever it goes, batteries, you know, the next layer of things um, around storage and dispatchability. This is mirrored in the non-blockchain peer-to-peer sharing conversation. Look at a company like Sonin, which birthed the virtual storage-based residential virtual power plant in Germany. You know, their their initial model was based around peer-to-peer transactions on these, you know, small residential community microgrids. And they've since branched out and started talking about using aggregated systems for um, for for grid services, you can do both of those things simultaneously or one or the other. And uh, both business models could feasibly work. It's all about, you know, how you want to make your money and what consumer demand is. And I think that in a place like Germany, it makes more sense to, um, you know, talk about peer-to-peer energy sales because they have this long history of community-based projects, whereas in the U.S., grid services are probably a better play. So it seems to me like uh, the same is playing out, at least initially, in the blockchain space. To me, the thing that I the thing I actually care about in the long term is making sure that distributed energy resources are are appropriately valued um, on a locational and a time variant basis, and that. Consumers and DER providers are incentivized to optimize those resources so as to benefit the grid as a whole, so as to reduce the need for centralized generation or fossil fuels or whatever you're trying to optimize for. To the extent that a peer-to-peer network enables that, I can see how it would be highly beneficial. But to the extent that it just sits alongside that but doesn't actually provide those kinds of price signals and just allows for like people to feel like they have, whether or not they're, they have to be conscious about it for people to feel like they have local power sources, that to me, at least from a, a societal perspective, does not seem very important. So as I'm looking at these peer-to-peer pilots and examples, I guess I'm I'm drawn to the ones where they can make a strong case that this peer-to-peer network is not just attractive because people are going to like it, but be, because it's going to provide some value to the grid um, and, and I guess, to the broader society as a result. So is that any different in your thinking about peer-to-peer trading than before this conversation? Not really. Um, I do think that I, I understand a little bit better kind of what the core use case is or the core value of peer-to-peer, but I do still feel like there are a lot of peer-to-peer blockchain energy companies and examples out there. And I still need to put them all through this this filter before I can figure out which ones really excite me. Scott, how do you feel about peer-to-peer trading after this conversation? <sighs> yeah, as frustrated as usual, because I think it actually signals where things are going. But I also, I have a little bit of a problem that peer-to-peer as an application needs to think about its value to the grid. Because I think if peer-to-peer is a feature of new 
local or retail energy providers, their cost of operation should be determined by the utility who is determining that cost by, you know, the, the stresses or, you know, the value that, that those operators put on the grid. So if it's just baked into these new energy providers, cost of operation, they're going to try and make that as low as possible, meaning they'll create incentives for these DERs to be as beneficial to the network as possible. It's a feature of a new kind of utility that can be utilized uh, when you're you know, in, a, in a world where DERs can provide a lot of value to the grid. Well, I know we didn't come to a full conclusion here, but I feel like we've gotten a little bit closer to what peer-to-peer trading enabled by blockchain might look like. Thanks for the uh, sober discussion, Scott. Thanks. Always a pleasure. You know, can I just say that I've heard people talk about taking a sober approach to blockchain a bunch of times, but at the same time, I've found that the best conversations that I've had about blockchain have not been sober. So could I just suggest that GTM is looking at blockchain in a rational but perhaps not always sober context. Well, I guess this one's on me. I'll, I'll buy you a beer with a Bitcoin or something. That's an expensive-ass beer, my friend. <laughs> the Interchange is supported by Wonder Capital, the easiest way to invest in commercial-scale solar projects across the U.S., GTM Research recently published its ranking for the top 15 players in the commercial solar market, and uh, Wonder Capital ranked number 8 on that list. In 2017, Wonder Capital financed approximately 40 megawatts of commercial solar. In 2018, Wonder Capital expects to finance approximately 120 megawatts of commercial solar. Individual investors like you have the opportunity to help Wonder finance these commercial solar projects by investing in their solar investment funds. To date, Wonder has financed more than 180 commercial-scale solar projects across the U.S. They are directly contributing to the boom that we're seeing. In fact, non-residential solar grew. uh, It surpassed residential solar and utility-scale solar in terms of growth rates last year. And that's because uh, the financing is getting better and Wonder is contributing to that. Visit wondercapital.com slash GTM to find out how you can invest in solar projects while earning up to 7.5% annually. Again, that's wondercapital with a U, wondercapital.com slash GTM, wondercapital, where impact investing meets capitalism. Peer-to-peer trading is just one of hundreds of use cases for blockchain among hundreds of blockchain startups vying for attention in the energy sector. But it's a dominant one. As Shale explained earlier, roughly one-fifth of the companies we're tracking here at GTM are pursuing peer-to-peer trading. At this point, it's helpful to step back even further. Instead of asking why peer-to-peer trading, maybe we should ask why blockchain? I posed that question to Colleen Metalitza, who's GTM Research's blockchain expert. She just published a report looking at investment flows, blockchain applications, and an industry taxonomy. And we used that as the basis of our discussion. The interview was recorded at GTM's Blockchain and Energy Forum last month. So I think there's really a few key things that are happening here. Uh, The first is that the energy industry has a lot of intermediaries. From a legacy system, we see everything from the wholesale trading market through utilities to the retail market down to consumers and you know the new producing consumer prosumer model. 
there's a lot of different ways that people can interact and share data and collaborate. And blockchain is a really good collaboration tool for data sharing. Uh, another one that I think is really valuable is also reducing the uh, financial settlement times. A lot of times with utility billing or demand response settlement, it can take uh, weeks or months to settle these and you can open up a lot of liquidity in the market by doing that. And then thirdly, we're having a decentralized sort of revolution, right? As energy markets become more distributed, we are seeing that maybe sending back all of this data from the grid edge to a central repository to make decisions isn't the most efficient way of doing that. And when you start talking about doing distributed computing, blockchain becomes a really good method to employ. So the in energy industry players, the big utilities, industrial companies that are starting to really look at this seriously, like what are the use cases that they think are most beneficial? What are they generally experimenting with? Yeah, so on the utility side, we're seeing, I would say, a lot of different use cases being tested. Uh, so if you think of classifying use cases in four key areas, uh, we're seeing a lot happening in the transactive energy space. So uh, for utilities, that's generally looking at demand response, maybe electric vehicle charging. In Europe, we're seeing some of that. Some grid flexibility happening in Europe as well, where devices are being turned on and off, especially storage, to help balance the grid uh, and the quicker timelines. On a non-utility side and transactive energy, that's where peer-to-peer -peer trading comes in. But then I think you know, beyond transactive energy, utilities are looking at it how they can incorporate into their utility back office. So retail billing is something. Uh, providing data to regulators is another potential area. Uh, another one we're hearing about from some is materials traceability. So looking at the supply chain of things that aren't even necessarily energy related. So there's a million ways utilities could look at using these. How many companies are operating in this space right now? It seems like there's a new startup every day. It's really hard to track, but you've uh, done a pretty good job tracking them. How many have you found so far? Yeah, so we've identified 122 organizations in the space. Uh, as of end of February, I'll say there have definitely been a few added in the last few days. And what's interesting there is that 54 of those have started since January of 2017. So over the past 14 months, we've had about half of the entrants in the space. So it's happening really rapidly. New companies are entering, as you said, every day, every week. And, and that's kind of true. There's about a new company every week. And these companies are most commonly tackling what? Are they mostly transactive energy companies? Yeah, so about 57% of the companies are looking at transactive energy as their primary application. Uh, after that, the second largest is an asset tokenization, which is a use case that we classify as anything from crowdfunding renewable energy assets to uh, buying renewable energy to use for cryptocurrency mining. Uh, so anything that's a bit more on the crypto side. Okay, let's try to get a little bit deeper into what these companies are doing. How else are you breaking it down and categorizing the startups in the blockchain energy space? Right. So when we think about blockchain, it's really a, an IT infrastructure. And so without going too much into how the internet works, there's multiple layers that are required. And so at the top layer, what we interact with on the most uh, on a daily basis is the application layer, right? So that's where the what you're using on your phone is going to be used, right? Or that's where your 
daily interaction from a consumer's perspective is happening. And so we see 94 organizations of those 122 are doing something in the application layer. But some of those organizations are also delving deeper. So they might also be building a platform on top of the core blockchain infrastructure that will enable you that will enable some of that middleware perspective. So something that can talk to the blockchain and can talk to the application. And then other companies are trying to do everything. So they're also trying to build the app, uh, the blockchain infrastructure. So if you think of Ethereum, which is you know one of the sort of core blockchains that's talked about often, its big innovation was building it, bringing in smart contracts so that you could build in applications on top of that. Some companies are running on Ethereum, in which case they might just be the application layer. Other companies are trying to replace Ethereum with their own blockchain, and then they want people to have to pay them to be able to access that blockchain. Is there any right or wrong approach at this point? No, I think the real question with that is how these players are all going to work together in the future, because I think it's unlikely that we're going to see one blockchain to rule them all, what you're going to see is this interoperability happen as blockchains develop communication networks across each other. And so you don't just have to interoperate with the legacy utility infrastructure that might exist, like your DERMS, your DERMS, Distributed Energy Resource Management Systems, but also with the other blockchain that's on the system. And that is something that is already being worked on, uh, not within the energy space in particular, but it's definitely happening. That brings us to this big regulatory question. And and I guess um, it would be foolish to think that there would be one blockchain to rule them all. Um, but I can't help but uh, feel like the, the interoperability problem could present some challenges because you're ultimately creating a patchwork system of all these platforms that kind of looks like the grid today. With that said, we do have you know, operability standards for power electronics and, you know, inverters, for example, that are servicing the grid. So do you see rules eventually coming together that create standards for these platforms? I mean, it's still, it's still like not so far off in the future that no one's really grappled with it, but I'm hearing more chatter about that potential interoperability issue. Yeah. So I think, standards will form. I think if you think of how the internet came about, uh, when the internet first started, we had a lot of intranets. People really didn't trust how the internet shared data. They were very skeptical of it. Uh, And so that's a lot of these sort of private blockchains that you're seeing people working on. But as with the internet, internet, we thought we brought a lot of intranets together to cooperate. I think we'll see something similar in blockchain. And we don't think really about how the internet standards work. There are standards there. But I think moving forward, really one day, the goal is that we don't think about blockchain at all, right? It's the underlying layer. It's kind of boring if you think about it from a personal perspective. I don't think about how the internet works every day. I shouldn't really have to think about how blockchain works, but it's so new and that's what makes it exciting. Uh, but we'll know that blockchain has come and succeeded when we stop having podcasts about it. Oh, totally. And I actually feel like I'm going to look back on these conversations in like five years time and just see how immature the conversation was, because we are talking about something that is like the web. Right. And we're sitting here like parsing application layers and like I, I, I'm going to probably look back and, and just think about how foolish it was in terms of my context for understanding the true potential of what blockchain can do for industries. 
Right. And for me, that's where I get excited about blockchain. I'm still, I would say, on team skeptical overall uh, of how much it will transform our system. But then I also like to look at history and you look at the Internet and everyone said, great, I'm going to be able to send mail electronically and that's it. And now we look at how our industry has been transformed by that. So some days I get very excited by the potential for blockchain to sort of transform in a way that we haven't even thought of. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to be skeptical in this industry because we've seen so many companies come and go. The energy industry is so much slower moving. You have regulatory risk. You have all these standards that exist for operating the grid. Um, It's hard to make utilities to move quickly. So yeah, you've got this fast moving, uh, rapidly evolving sector, but ultimately the energy industry is going to move at the pace that it does. And we will one day probably end up in this place where it will get transformed. But for those of us who've been monitoring the space for a long time, it's not—it's hard not to be skeptical. Exactly. And what I'm excited to see is utilities in the room that are really excited about the potential. And, you know, they're obviously also very skeptical. They have a lot of things to worry about when managing the grid. But utilities are really seeming to engage with this and to think about it in a way that I find encouraging. Well, if we've got all these companies, where's the money coming from? You tracked over $300 million since Q2 of 2017. Where's that money coming from? Yeah, so the majority of it's coming from initial coin offerings, which is a blockchain-specific way of raising funds that's somewhere between a crowdfunding and an IPO and a thing that doesn't exist. Um, So essentially, they mint these tokens and they are able to sell them. Uh, And companies, 75% of the funds raised to date that we've been tracking has been through ICOs as opposed to regular venture capital. And I think what we're going to see is that that's going to continue, but regular traditional venture is going to start moving in, especially as we have increased regulation in the U.S. and potentially other countries as well around what an ICO is and whether it violates security regulations. It would seem to me that utilities are probably going to start investing more money into this space as they get comfortable demonstration projects. You think that that's that's a possibility over the next couple of years? Definitely. So to date, we've seen three utilities that have sort of taken the lead in direct investment in companies, in blockchain companies. So Tapco, Inogi, and Centrica have all invested directly uh, in six companies overall. But We've also seen a lot of utilities invest in these consortiums. So the Energy Web Foundation is working to build a standard energy platform. They want to be the platform to rule them all. And they have 37 last I checked, although I heard someone say 45 today. So they have between 37 and 45 partners uh, signed up, includes utilities across the US, Europe, and Asia, as well as some larger energy players such as Shell. Uh, And so I think what they're doing and how utilities are investing in them is going to be really interesting. There are other consortium as well. So beyond the Energy Web Foundation that's trying to build a platform, there are also consortium around specific use cases and getting those developed. So Ponton in Europe has a consortium of 39 companies working on wholesale trading. Electron just announced a consortium of 14 players working on grid flexibility markets in the UK. And so I think we're going to see increased consortium around that as well. Paint the landscape for projects. We've seen a handful in North America. Uh, There are a bunch scattered around the world. 
Where are they concentrated globally and what kind of projects are we seeing? Yeah, so Europe is definitely the leader right now in terms of project deployment, uh, partially because they have the ability from a regulatory perspective to do these more innovative pilots that can sometimes violate regulation. Uh, the U.S. does have a fair share as well. Um, I think from a global perspective, the largest use case is this peer-to-peer energy trading. That's what's happening uh, you know, from Australia to the U.K. to the U.S. Uh, we're seeing a lot of peer-to-peer, but we actually don't think that is the use case that's really going to be continuing and developing a lot of momentum. It's an exciting use case when people first talk about it. Let's get consumers engaged. Let's disrupt the energy system. But really, the use cases that we're going to see come out first are going to be ones that have intermediaries that are maybe easier to either work with or eliminate. So on the wholesale trading side, replacing the trading platform layer with a blockchain. Uh, On the EV side, where there's not a lot of legacy infrastructure, we're really seeing that be developed by a lot of different companies. And thirdly, I think cybersecurity is going to be a huge one. The U.S. Department of Energy is invested in it. Uh, There's a lot of talk on how blockchain can help increase security on the grid, especially with Internet of Things being such a booming industry. If you want to scope out Colleen's report, it is a really good read. And uh, check out that ever-growing taxonomy of startups. Head on over to gtmresearch.com. In the meantime, let's hear directly from three startups hawking their blockchain wares. One is a company building a trilateral trading platform for utilities. Hi, I'm Jojo Hubbard, and I'm the co-founder and COO of Electron. Another is developing a new platform for demand response and aggregated distributed resources. Hi, I'm Thomas Holker. I'm co-founder and CEO of Leap. And the third is developing a virtual power plant network for utility control. Killian Tobin, co-founder and CEO of Omega Grid. I talked with these entrepreneurs about what it's like building a company in this space. How do you differentiate? Where do you start with pilots? How do you find incumbent partners? First, I asked them to explain their company to me as if they were talking to a utility executive that maybe didn't know a lot about blockchain. Jojo, give me the pitch from Electron. So I'm going to focus on the problem I'm solving for the utility executive. So our flagship project is a flexibility trading platform that essentially coordinates the trading interests from lots of different proprietary platforms. So I talk about the coordination of those bid sets and about how that um, saves money for the individual companies buying the flexibility when you're able to match on a trilateral basis instead of a bilateral basis. So when you can combine two bids for the same flexibility action that are bidding on non-rival value component like location and direction. Thomas. So I would pitch Leap as imagine one API, one single line of code in your current app or dashboard and all your customers are uh, exposed to the wholesale markets. That's essentially uh, in one line what we're doing. Um, Creating uh, super frictionless, easy access for distributed energy resources, electric vehicles right now, but also stationary loads and other controllable assets uh, and uh, give them direct access to the, the wholesale markets as a demand response asset. Killian, Omega Grid. Yep. So we usually ask them, what are they going to do about the low cost of solar batteries and electric vehicles? And how are they planning to bring those all on the grid? I understand you've invested in a distributed energy resource management system, or you're planning to do that. Financially, how do you manage all those new transactions that are going to happen? Omega Grid's created a blockchain-based local electricity market that the utility owns and runs on cyber secure infrastructure. There's a question that guides all of this. Why blockchain? And why is blockchain better than anything else that's out there? Any other communication protocol? 
any other verification system. So why blockchain? So we're actually designing this market coordination infrastructure in, in a blank space, as it were. So there's two options uh, that, the, that, that the parties we're working with here, you know, National Grid, uh, to the distribution network operators in the UK and household names like Shell, EDF and Statcraft. Uh, if they want to coordinate their trading interests, they have two options. One, centralize with a new third party or to decentralize and agree on a set of shared protocols and rules around pre and post trade transparency and trade matching. Um, and and um, the benefits for them of not introducing another third party is they maintain control of their own protocols, they get this innovation platform, they can trial new types of flexibility products very quickly, and they get this low cost kind of extensible coordination architecture. So why blockchain? For us, it's all about overhead. Um, if you can compress overhead 10x, 100x, now it becomes economically viable to use these resources to actually start trading. And secondly, it helps us solve this prisoner's dilemma of uh, competitors working together. If they're all connected to the same blockchain, uh, they can still be competitive, but together form a critical mass that actually is large enough to participate in the wholesale markets as we, uh, we, uh, we currently have them. So that's uh, the reason why we use blockchain. Yeah, the, the quick overview for why blockchain, uh, number one, it's security in traditional market systems. You have a central point of failure and uh, the more uh, participants join in the market, uh, the less secure the market is. There's more attack vectors. And with a blockchain market, the more participants, you know, conversely, it's more secure and more uh, reliable. Um, and so we think that creates an anti-fragile grid uh, for you. What kind of reception are you getting in the energy industry right now? I'm assuming that there's uh, a lot of enthusiastic potential adopters and there's a lot of head scratching. Um, how does that generally break down when you have meetings with utilities or other folks in the energy industry? Actually, I, I think we've moved away from the head scratching. So, so two and a half years when we were starting out and, and we went to talk to them about our platform, we'd spend the whole hour discussing how they couldn't actually hack uh, Bitcoin. Uh, whereas I, I think actually the, the dialogue's really, really moved along from what's the technology to what can it do. And I think, you know, we've, we and, and a lot of the startups, you know, d definitely both startups here in the space have been instrumental in that. And I think it's really exciting that finally the utilities are all coming to us and saying, what can you do in our markets? Can we, can we try something together? Now we've got that proof point. Yeah, I think we passed the days of head-scratching, actually. Uh, we're part of the Energy Web Foundation, which is um, a consortium of utilities and energy players coming together to set standards for, for, for blockchain. So I think they, they definitely saw what the potential is and came together to say, uh, before, we, before we have to adopt a um, you know, consortium that we might not like, we, uh, we actually tried to set the standards ourselves. So um, a lot less um, uh, proselytizing and a lot more um, uh, engagement right now. Yeah. I think there's a there's a general sort of different the people really know about blockchain now and especially in the last six months I'd say the sort of the the public adoption and the general realization of Bitcoin blockchain even Ethereum um, has changed the conversation and but they are still searching for the right use case what's the right way to do this how does this fit within our regulatory construct um, but they're quickly moving to let's figure out a pilot and how can we work with you because I think they know that there's a tremendous opportunity here and the market keeps moving faster. It's just uh, meaning, meaning the, the costs for things like solar and batteries just, just keeps pushing their hand towards a local marketplace. The three of you come from the energy industry, so you understand uh, what it takes to you know, work with legacy players, to scale a product, to prove it out. Um, how do you ensure that 
you're hitting certain metrics and we're having a rational conversation around the value of blockchain um, as you start engaging with customers and building pilots. So on a, on a, you, you define, you co-define the direction of travel. Uh, you co-define what the big roadblockers could be there and what the individual proof points are along the way. You address those big blockers head on and, 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 uh, and then you pick each individual proof point one by one. Um, uh, like the first trade we'll be running through our platform will be a bilateral trade of secondary capacity. Very simple, going to happen in about four weeks. But the big proof point is the multilateral trade, the trilateral trade for locational trades, which we're going to be running towards the end of the year. We're picking one locational project uh, product. We're defining it with the parties who are going to buy it. And then we'll keep trialing new ones. So it's, it's piecemeal. <laughs> so our, our approach is pragmatic. Uh, we like to work with the utilities. They tend to have a large customer base and um, you know, give us access to a very large load directly. Um, secondly, we are currently only participating in markets that actually exist. Uh, demand response is a regulated, fully legislated market. Um, looking at transactive energy, but there has to be you know, much more rulemaking to be done. We're involved in that, but uh, the pragmatic approach is um, you know, just stick to existing markets and, and create a revenue uh, income on, on the base of that. Yeah, we're, you know, rather than trying to, you know, move the regulatory construct, uh, we're focusing on the, the, the specific clients that can benefit the most from a local market now and um, proving out the value there and creating a, a real business um, uh, that, 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 you know, co-creates uh, the local energy market. And we don't need to have, um, you know, millions of customers to deliver real value. We can, we can go with one utility and they can pick their top customer or customers to create a, a local market with and uh, help them shed transmission congestion charges and um, things like that. So. One of the other things I'm struck by is that none of you have expressed a notion that somehow this is going to destroy the utility. You see the utility as a partner. Um, naturally, because blockchain is a distributed technology, you think about cutting out the middleman and inevitably that leads some to believe that you take the utility out of the equation in energy transactions. It sounds like each of you is talking about um, extracting more value from the grid for both customers, third parties, and the utilities themselves. Is that a fair characterization? Amen. Yes. I don't know. What I'm... Maybe you can come back to me. I just profoundly agree. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. So uh, I just looked at the uh, the data in California, Coiso, um, uh, what the uh, the ramp rate between four and eight p.m. was on Monday, and the the, the grid needs to scale thirteen gigawatts in four hours. And um, I think there is going to be an massive, a massive, massive pressure on utilities to solve this, and we'd like to work with them to to help that uh, uh, to you know solve that issue. Yeah, I mean, we see the shift to local generation uh, providing, you know, a winning situation for consumers. We can lower energy costs by procuring locally. Um, and as long as we can maintain the, the status of the utility, uh, being able to uh, maintain the wires and, and do their low cost, low risk uh, sort of profile, continue to have their low, low cost, low risk profile uh, for their investors, then we see it as, as a win-win-win for generators, consumers, and the local utility. I think um, you know traditional generators are, are trying to find ways to sort of bridge the gap into into the new world, and um, um, you know things things like coal and, and maybe traditional transmission investments are we're not going to see as much of those in the future. 
And, 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 and what I was going to say is what I think all of our business models have in common is we're essentially trying to build the new digital infrastructure that allows millions of assets and billions of devices to take part in today's energy markets that is currently blocked out by kind of missing digital infrastructure. Um, and, 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 and obviously that's a huge opportunity for existing utilities who know how to engage them. It doesn't mean they're going to be the only players in the future. It's probably also going to make space for a lot of new entrants to come in. But I don't think this is about ripping up the current market stru structure and starting again. I think this is about uh, extending it to create a more inclusive transactive grid. What is blockchain? And when I ask that question, I'm not asking physically what is it. Um, or, or how you engineer it, but what is it going to become? Is this, you know, similar to the origins of the World Wide Web? So I think that the energy industry historically has accepted this trade-off between a vertically integrated system in which you have coordination but you miss competition, or a kind of horizontally truncated system in which you divide up all the roles and you have competition and innovation but lack of coordination. I think blockchain is going to collapse that trade-off and enable us to have mass coordination and mass competition, a complete fragmentation of business models, but adhering to the same rule set and helping make better use of the assets that's in the same system. You know, the most important or exciting thing about what blockchain enables are new ways of incentivizing network effects um, for all sorts of network effect businesses. And we think that a, the electric grid is, is a perfect example of that, of a network effect business that, that benefits from the, you know, the more uh, generators and the more consumers uh, that participate in it. So I, I, I totally agree with both of you. And um, what I think that blockchain will bring is a democracy to the grid. Um, and we all have to play nice on a physical asset that wasn't developed actually for, for doing what we do right now. And blockchain is going to solve all those pain points. I'm convinced of it. Again, that was Jojo Hubbard of Electron, Thomas Faulkner of Leap, and Killian Tobin of Omega Grid. If you're convinced of the potential of blockchain, or even if you're still unconvinced, stay tuned. We've got more conversations on the topic coming up in a future episode, and we're actually going to move over to the other side of the table and hear from a large utility, someone who might be partnering with these startups, and an investor about how they're evaluating opportunities. And again, if you're looking for some good reading material, check out Colleen's blockchain report at gtmresearch.com. We're going to have a link for you in the show notes per usual. And you have been listening to The Interchange, weekly conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. Thanks a lot.